Women's Suffrage and World War I Patriotism. When World War I started in 1914, women in eight states had already won the right to vote, but support for a federal amendment was still tepid. The war provided a new urgency to the fight for the vote. When the U.S. entered World War I, CAT made the controversial decision to support the war effort, despite the widespread pacifist sentiment of many of her colleagues and supporters. As women joined the labor force to replace men serving in the military and took visible positions as nurses, relief workers, and ambulance drivers to support the war effort, NASA organizers argued that women's sacrifices made them deserving of the vote. By contrast, the NWP used the war to point out the contradictions of fighting for democracy abroad while restricting it at home. In 1917, the NWP began picketing the White House to bring attention to the cause of women's suffrage. In 1914 the constitutional amendment proposed by Sargent, which was nicknamed the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, was once again considered by the Senate, where it was again rejected. In April 1917 the Anthony Amendment, which eventually became the 19th Amendment, was reintroduced in the House and Senate. Picketing NWP members, nicknamed the Silent Sentinels, continued their protests on the sidewalks outside the White House. On July 4, 1917, police arrested 168 of the protesters, who were sent to prison in Lorton, Virginia. Some of these women, including Lucy Burns and Alice Paul, went on hunger strikes, some were force-fed while others were otherwise harshly treated by prison guards. The release of the women a few months later was largely due to increasing public pressure. Final Congressional Challenges In 1918, President Wilson faced a difficult midterm election and would have to confront the issue of women's suffrage directly. Fifteen states had extended equal voting rights to women and, by this time, the president fully supported the federal amendment. A proposal brought before the House in January 1918 passed by only one vote. The vote was then carried into the Senate where Wilson made an appeal on the Senate floor, an unprecedented action at the time. In a short speech, the president tied women's right to vote directly to the war, asking, shall we admit them only to a partnership of suffering and sacrifice and toil and not to a partnership of privilege and right? On September 30, 1918, the proposal fell two votes short of passage, prompting the NWP to direct campaigning against senators who had voted against the amendment. Between January 1918 and June 1919, the House and Senate voted on the federal amendment five times. Each vote was extremely close and Southern Democrats continued to oppose giving women the vote. Suffragists pressured President Wilson to call a special session of Congress and he agreed to schedule one for May 19, 1919. On May 21, 1919, the amendment passed the House 304 to 89, with 42 votes more than was necessary. On June 4, 1919, it was brought before the Senate and, after Southern Democrats abandoned a filibuster, 36 Republican senators were joined by 20 Democrats to pass the amendment with 56 yeas, 25 nays, and 14 not voting. The final vote tally was 20 Democrats yay, 17 Democrats nay, 9 Democrats not voting slash abstained, 36 Republicans yay, 8 Republicans nay, 5 Republicans not voting slash abstained. Ratification. Carrie Chapman Catt and Alice Paul immediately mobilized members of the NASA and NWP to pressure states to ratify the amendment. Within a few days, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan did so, their legislatures being in session. It is arguable which state was considered first to ratify the amendment. While Illinois's legislature passed the legislation an hour prior to Wisconsin, Wisconsin's delegate, David James, arrived earlier and was presented with a statement establishing Wisconsin as the first to ratify. By August 2, 14 states had approved ratification, and by the end of 1919-22 had ratified the amendment. 
in other states support proved more difficult to secure. Much of the opposition to the amendment came from Southern Democrats, only two former Confederate states, Texas and Arkansas, and three border states voted for ratification, with Kentucky and West Virginia not doing so until 1920. Alabama and Georgia were the first states to defeat ratification. The governor of Louisiana worked to organize 13 states to resist ratifying the amendment. The Maryland legislature refused to ratify the amendment and attempted to prevent other states from doing so. Kerry Catt began appealing to Western governors, encouraging them to act swiftly. By the end of 1919, a total of 22 states had ratified the amendment. Resistance to ratification took many forms. Anti-suffragists continued to say the amendment would never be approved by the November 1920 elections and that special sessions were a waste of time and effort. Other opponents to ratification filed lawsuits requiring the federal amendment to be approved by state referendums. By June 1920, after intense lobbying by both the NASA and the NWP, the amendment was ratified by 35 of the necessary 36 state legislatures. Ratification would be determined by Tennessee. In the middle of July 1919, both opponents and supporters of the Anthony Amendment arrived in Nashville to lobby the General Assembly. Kerry Catt, representing the NASA, worked with state suffragist leaders, including Ann Dallas Dudley and Abby Crawford Milton. Sue Shelton White, a Tennessee native who had participated in protests at the White House and toured with the prison special, represented the NWP. Opposing them were the antis, in particular, Josephine Pearson, state president of the Southern Women's Rejection League of the Susan. B. Anthony Amendment, who had served as Dean and Chair of Philosophy at Christian College in Columbia. Pearson was assisted by Anne Pleasant, President of the Louisiana Women's Rejection League and the wife of a former Louisiana governor. Especially in the South, the question of women's suffrage was closely tied to issues of race. While both white and black women worked toward women's suffrage, some white suffragists tried to appease Southern states by arguing that votes for women could counter the black vote, strengthening white supremacy. For the anti-suffragists in the South, the antis, the federal amendment was viewed as a force bill, one that Congress could use to enforce voting provisions not only for women, but for African-American men who were still effectively disenfranchised even after passage of the 14th and 15th Amendments. Kerry Catt warned suffrage leaders in Tennessee that the anti-suffs would rely on lies, innuendos, and near-truths, raising the issue of race as a powerful factor in their arguments. Prior to the start of the General Assembly session on August 9, both supporters and opponents had lobbied members of the Tennessee Senate and House of Representatives. Though the Democratic governor of Tennessee, Albert H. Roberts, supported ratification, most lawmakers were still undecided. Anti-suffragists targeted members, meeting their trains as they arrived in Nashville to make their case. When the General Assembly convened on August 9, both supporters and opponents set up stations outside of chambers, handing out yellow roses to suffrage supporters and red roses to the antis. On August 12, the legislature held hearings on the suffrage proposal. The next day the Senate voted 24 to 5 in favor of ratification. As the House prepared to take up the issue of ratification on August 18, lobbying intensified. House Speaker Seth M. Walker attempted to table the ratification resolution, but was defeated twice with a vote of 48 to 48. The vote on the resolution would be close. Representative Harry Byrne, a Republican, had voted to table the resolution both times. When the vote was held again, Byrne voted yes. The 24-year-old said he supported women's suffrage as a moral right, but had voted against it because he believed his constituents opposed it. In the final minutes before the vote, he received a note from his mother, urging him to vote yes. Rumors immediately circulated that Byrne and other lawmakers had been bribed, but newspaper reporters found no evidence of this. The same day ratification passed in the General Assembly, Speaker Walker filed a motion to reconsider. 
When it became clear he did not have enough votes to carry the motion, representatives opposing suffrage boarded a train, fleeing Nashville for Decatur, Alabama to block the House from taking action on the reconsideration motion by preventing a quorum. 37 legislators fled to Decatur, issuing a statement that ratifying the amendment would violate their oath to defend the state constitution. The ploy failed. Speaker Walker was unable to muster any additional votes in the allotted time. When the House reconvened to take the final procedural steps that would reaffirm ratification, Tennessee suffragists seized an opportunity to taunt the missing anti-delegates by sitting at their empty desks. When ratification was finally confirmed, a suffragist on the floor of the House rang a miniature Liberty Bell. On August 18, 1920, Tennessee narrowly approved the 19th Amendment, with 50 of 99 members of the Tennessee House of Representatives voting yes. This provided the final ratification necessary to add the amendment to the Constitution, making the United States the 27th country in the world to give women the right to vote. Upon signing the ratification certificate, the governor of Tennessee sent it by registered mail to the U.S. Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby, whose office received it at 4 a.m. on August 26, 1920. Once certified as correct, Colby signed the proclamation of the Women's Suffrage Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in the presence of his secretary only. Ratification Timeline Though accusations of bribery did not cause the Tennessee legislature to reconsider its ratification of the suffrage amendment, Alice Paul immediately cautioned that women are not yet fully free and that women can expect nothing from the politicians, until they stand as a unit and a party of their own, saying that discrimination still exists on the statute books which will not be removed by the ratification. Paul charged that the amendment passed only because it at last became more expedient for those in control of the government to aid suffrage than to oppose it. Congress proposed the 19th Amendment on June 4, 1919, and the following states ratified the amendment. 1. Illinois, June 10, 1919. 2. Wisconsin, June 10, 1919. 3. Michigan, June 10, 1919. 4. Kansas, June 16, 1919. 5. Ohio, June 16, 1919. 6. New York, June 16, 1919. 7. Pennsylvania, June 24, 1919. 8. Massachusetts, June 25, 1919. 9. Texas, June 28, 1919. 10. Iowa, July 2, 1919. 11. Missouri, July 3, 1919. 12. Arkansas, July 28, 1919. 13. Montana, July 30, 1919, August 2, 1919. 14. Nebraska, August 2, 1919. 15. Minnesota, September 8, 1919. 16. New Hampshire, September 10, 1919. 17. Utah, September 30, 1919. 18. California, November 1, 1919. 19. Maine, November 5, 1919. 20. North Dakota, December 1, 1919. 21. South Dakota, December 4, 1919. 22. Colorado, December 12, 1919, December 15, 1919. 23. Rhode Island, January 6, 1920 at 1 p.m. 24. Kentucky, January 6, 1920 at 4 p.m. 25. Oregon, January 12, 1920. 26. Indiana, January 16, 1920. 27. Wyoming, January 26, 1920. 28. Nevada, February 7, 1920.
29. New Jersey, February 9, 1920. 30. Idaho, February 11, 1920. 31. Arizona, February 12, 1920. 32. New Mexico, February 16, 1920. 33. Oklahoma, February 23, 1920. 34. West Virginia, March 10, 1920, confirmed on September 21, 1920. 35. Washington, March 22, 1920. 36. Tennessee, August 18, 1920. The ratification process required 36 states, and was completed with the approval of Tennessee. Though not necessary for adoption, the following states subsequently ratified the amendment. Some states did not call a legislative session to hold a vote until later, others rejected it when it was proposed and then reversed their decisions years later, with the last taking place in 1984. 37. Connecticut, September 14, 1920, reaffirmed on September 21, 1920. 38. Vermont, February 8, 1921. 39. Delaware, March 6, 1923, after being rejected on June 2, 1920. 40. Maryland, March 29, 1941, after being rejected on February 24, 1920, not certified until February 25, 1958. 41. Virginia, February 21, 1952, after being rejected on February 12, 1920. 42. Alabama, September 8, 1953, after being rejected on September 22, 1919. 43. Florida, May 13, 1969. 44. South Carolina, July 1, 1969, after being rejected on January 28, 1920, not certified until August 22, 1973. 45. Georgia, February 20, 1970, after being rejected on July 24, 1919. 46. Louisiana, June 11, 1970, after being rejected on July 1, 1920. 47. North Carolina, May 6, 1971. 48. Mississippi, March 22, 1984, after being rejected on March 29, 1920. With Mississippi's ratification in 1984, the amendment was now ratified by all states existing at the time of its adoption in 1920. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.